Father, we come on the brink of a new year to bow before you and with joy to acknowledge that you are a king and you are a savior. Lord, the prospects of a new year at times seem daunting, especially if our view is simply at a human level. But when we lift up our eyes to see Christ, everything changes. Lord, as we study in the word and we examine the truth of scripture and live in the power of its truth, then Lord, there is joy. And I pray that you would give to us this year a wonderful experience of faithfulness to you and joy and rejoicing in your goodness to us. Lord, we have a country that needs you. We have a state and a city that needs you. And you've placed us here for such a time as this. May we radiate the light of Christ that others might find hope. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. The people who were following Jesus and the people who were fascinated by Jesus were all asking the same question. Who is Jesus, really? In fact, that question was so predominant that Jesus asked the question of his disciples once when they were in the northern part of Israel in a town called Caesarea Philippi. This is Matthew 16, verse 13. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the answers he received from his disciples, well, they were disciples, they were all over the map. Uh, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah or maybe even Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus looked at them and said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I can almost hear the Lord saying that to our hearts this morning. There's a lot of talk about who Jesus is and a lot of different opinions. But what about you? Who do you say Jesus is? Well, at that point in time, Peter came back with the classic answer that we have in Matthew 16, 16. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now notice the question was asked, who is the Son of Man? And we realize Jesus is attributing that title to himself when he says, who do you say I am? And the answer back, you are son of man, you are son of the living God, you are Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the King. And Jesus says to Peter, well done, right on. You didn't come up with that yourself. That was revealed to you by the Father. And upon this great name, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and you guys will have the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom to advance the kingdom of God. And everything sounded so great. At that moment, their messianic hopes took a huge leap forward. And then Jesus gave them a troubling prophecy. 
This is verse 21 of Matthew chapter 16. From that time on, Jesus began to tell them, his disciples, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the religious leaders. He will be killed and he will be raised from the dead. Now, I don't know that they heard that raised from the dead part because all they heard was suffer many things and be killed. And now in an instant, their dreams seem to be destroyed of a kingdom come. And I'm sure they were confused and perplexed. Have you ever studied the word of God and come away confused? I mean, you want to take it to heart, but you're not sure exactly what it's saying. Or at times, it seems to give a different message. I think the disciples were experiencing the very same thing. In fact, in verse 22, the Bible tells us that Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. He said, never, Lord, never will this happen to you. Again, I would love to hear the tonation of Peter's voice. There must have been some respect in there, but he was quite bold in saying, you're wrong. Not on my watch. Nothing's gonna happen to you. Never, 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 Lord. Peter said to Jesus, you're wrong. And Jesus said to Peter, you sound just like Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Because whenever you speak against the word of God, you speak like the devil himself. Whenever you take a position that is against the truth of scripture, you are believing the doctrines of demons. Jesus said, not only do do I need to go to Jerusalem and die, but you guys need to die. That's verse 24. Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, You you call yourself a disciple. You want to be my disciple. You have to deny yourself and you have to take up your cross and follow me. You've got to die to self. This perhaps is one of the most important messages that we could embrace as a church and that we could personally take to heart. We need to die to self because Christ can't reign if we're on the throne of our own heart. So now they're really confused. Jesus goes on to say, whoever wants to save their life needs to lose their life. And what would it be if you gain the whole world but lose lose your own soul? But then he comes up with this. In verse 27 he said, the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with the holy angels. And then look at verse 28. I have that on the screen for you. The end of Matthew 16. Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And now they are totally confused. You talked about the kingdom coming and you're the king and you agree that you are and then you say you have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and then you say we have to die on our own cross and then you say some of us aren't going to die until we see you come in your glory? What does that mean? And Jesus gives them a week to stew about it. I love how the Lord does that. He'll speak to our soul and give us some time to think. 
I don't know what they thought during that week, but I do know this. The Bible tells us that Jesus was going to fulfill what he predicted. Now, if verse 28 actually means that the kingdom of God is coming, unfolded in full force for everyone to see and dominate the earth, then Jesus was wrong because it didn't happen. Mark and Luke, these writers, they're writing much later, decades later after Jesus said some of these things. Some of these individuals had died and the kingdom had not taken place. In fact, it seemed like everything was going in reverse. But the clue comes in the very next story that begins with chapter 17. In fact, every gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three synoptics, each one of them follow the portion of scripture we just talked about with the story we're going to talk about as though it is the answer, and I think it is, to the great glory of God coming down. I think this may be the most dramatic event that is mentioned in all of scripture outside of the crucifixion and the resurrection. I'm talking about the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a story the disciples never forgot. Think of it, six days later, they're still confused. Kingdom coming, kingdom not coming. Jesus suffering, is he gonna be king? What's gonna happen? And Jesus takes them up to a high mountain. This all takes place on a high mountain. That's where it starts. It's interesting that Peter loves to talk about places. This high mountain could have been Mount Tabor. That's the traditional place of the transfiguration. There is built on top of that mountain a church called the Church of the Transfiguration. I'm not sure that that's the right one, but it doesn't really make any difference. They were much closer to Mount Hermon, which is a higher mountain, and close to Caesarea Philippi. But the point is, he took them up into a mountain to be by themselves. This is verse 1 of chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. The inner circle. Peter, James, and John, why not everyone? Not exactly sure, except these three needed to be refocused. And if the inner circle of disciples need to be refocused a time or two, what about you? What about me? Doesn't the Lord sometimes need to get us alone into a solitary place and speak to our hearts about what's really important? Alone with Jesus, they're going to find out who Jesus really is. Now, Luke chapter 9 says that they went up to the mountain to pray, and Jesus was praying when he was actually transfigured in front of them. But understand this this is not a public event, this is private intervention. Where the Lord wants to speak to his disciples, the chief disciples, and make sure that they are on track. We talk about New Year's uh, resolutions 
to try to get our lives back on track. And they often talk about uh, health and sometimes talk about job or experiences that we want to have and sometimes spiritual goals. And that's all well and good. But how much better to have a moment with the Savior where he brings you back to what is really important. And that's what Jesus is going to do with these guys. So they're up on the mountain. Now the mountain then is the place where they experience the miracles. Actually, there are two miracles that are going to take place. And the first one, verse two, there Jesus was transfigured. You know this Greek word very well. It's metamorphosis. Taken right from the Greek language into our language, Jesus was metamorphosed before them. Now we know that process, perhaps, Uh, Most often when we think of a mundane, ugly caterpillar who then gets into a cocoon and comes out as a beautiful butterfly and we call this metamorphosis. The Greek scholar Ken Wiest, who taught many years at Moody Bible Institute, said that the word literally means an outward change that reflects the inward character. That's probably true of the caterpillar, isn't it? The guy isn't as ugly as he looks. Give him some time alone in his own space and he's transformed into what he was designed to be. Jesus went through a metamorphosis when he left heaven and came to earth because he was transfigured into a man. Now, there's so much mystery in all of that, it's hard even to define it and to state it without feeling that you're saying something wrong, but he was transfigured into a man. He didn't lose his divinity, but he left many privileges, Philippians 2 tells us. And now he's being transfigured for a moment back into his pre-incarnate state, or at least That's what it appears to be. Or maybe even that future glorious form that he will have and even has now in heaven itself. But it's going to be a moment unlike any other. Temporarily, Jesus is uncovering his intrinsic glory. For a moment, his deity is going to shine through his humanity. It's been bottled up for some 33 years, but now it's going to come out. And two dazzling similes are given to us. Verse two, his face. His face shone like the sun. That sounds bright. Have you ever, as we used to do this as kids, the stupidest thing in the world, see who could stare at the sun the longest, right? If you're, you know, let, let's, let's try the sun stare. Didn't get very far. And if we did, we couldn't see for a while after that. Think about the blinding glory for a moment of the face of Jesus. 
And then his clothes, the scripture says. His clothes became as white as light. Luke says, as bright as a flash of lightning. So everything about Christ was white and glorious and bright. Peter's confession has been confirmed. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Boom, here's proof of it. In all his divinity, Jesus. You know, Jesus normally looked pretty normal. Jesus walked around Nazareth and Capernaum and in Jerusalem. He, he was a Jewish man of, of 30 years old. Oh, but now he was something different. And you and I need to see the glory of Christ. We need to see him in the supper and we need to see him in all his divinity and power and holiness and glory. Take a look at Christ. That will redirect your soul like nothing else will. We learn that he is the God-man. Hearts once saddened by a confusing prophecy of human suffering are now gladdened by this glimpse of all power, this striking vision of majesty. Worship his majesty. Not the majesty alone, but the one who is your majesty. (laughs) The one who is king. He was showing them the very glory he predicted at the end of Matthew 16. Some of you won't die before you see the glory of the kingdom. And here is the kingdom, as though he's being inaugurated as king. Here is the king of the kingdom in his glory. That was the first miracle, but here's the second, verse three. And just then there appeared with Jesus And by the way, Luke says that Jesus was praying when he was transfigured. And now there is this appearance of Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. That's another miracle. Because these guys have been gone for a long time. Moses has been dead, what, about 1,450 years? And Elijah was raptured 900 years before this took place. And now here they are. And Luke tells us, and I've got Luke 9 on the screen, Luke 9, verse 30, that these two guys appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, which was about to bring, he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Wow, that's a great verse. First of all, these guys are in glorious splendor too. It's not the same type of glorious splendor that Jesus has. It's borrowed glorious splendor. You say, what do you mean borrowed? Well, Jesus is the sun and we're like the moon. We radiate the light of the sun. Jesus radiates his own glory. He radiates and he originates. He is light, but we only reflect his light like a bike reflector that does absolutely nothing unless a light shines on it and then it seems to wake up. 
I appreciate what J.C. Ryle said about all of this. The vision on the mountain is a gracious promise that glorious things are in store for the people of God. This is a glimpse of our own eschatological radiance, the end time, future uh, era radiance of all of God's children. This is what we're going to be like. Heaven is going to be like, by God's grace, we're dressed in white and talking with Jesus. What a great glimpse. Think of what the Lord said on other occasions. Paul said in Colossians chapter four, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Colossians 4, 1 John chapter three, when he appears, we'll be like him, for we will see him as he is. In Revelation three, Jesus said, they shall walk with me dressed in white. And here's a glimpse of it. Now, it's not the same glory in the sense that they're not God and they don't have the glory of Christ, but they've got borrowed glory because they're covered in his righteousness. What an amazing miracle. The two guys who are the leaders of the Old Testament now reappear. The two guys who spoke to God before on a mountain have reappeared. The two guys who spoke most for God when they were on earth are now speaking with God in heaven or in this glorious scene with Jesus. Heaven is going to be like this. Again, one Bible teacher put it this way. I love this. He said, no conference on earth was ever more gloriously attended. Here's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Here are Moses and Elijah, chief prophets of the Old Testament. Here are Peter, James, and John, chief apostles of the New Testament. No assembly was ever more illustrious. Think of the glory of heaven when we get there. How wonderful that will be. But the Bible tells us, in all of this glory, we need to make sure that we don't misunderstand what's happening. What are we to take from all of this? I mean, it's okay if I lose my life to gain this. That's what Jesus said. You try to keep your life, you lose it. You lose your life for my sake. This is what you get by the grace of God. But these two miracles have two different responses. One's human, one's divine. You've got to make sure that you have the right response. Here's the human response, verse 4. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. The master of the understatement. <laughs> I think it's a good idea that we're here. He called you to be here. There's a reason for it. And if you wish, I'll put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now Mark gives us a little bit of insight here. He says that Peter didn't know what he was saying. Or that Peter was so afraid, he... Uh, he didn't know what to say, but he kept talking. <laughs> Sometimes when you're really afraid, you're talkative in your fear. I mean, I really don't know what to say. I'm really frightened here at this point in time, but I know I'll think of something to say, but until I think of something to say, I'm gonna just keep talking because I am really shook. Peter's talking out of fear. 
He's blabbering. Someone said there are two kinds of speakers, those who have something to say and those who have to say something. And Peter had to say, he just had to say something. Lord, this is, this, this is good. This is really good. I'm glad you're, thank you for inviting me. Here's an idea. Why don't we, let's keep this going. I like this mountain thing. Let's not go back down there. Let's stay up here. With all this glory. And the booze might be the booze for the tabernacle festival or they could be something even a little more permanent in light of a kingdom that now has come, right? Let's, let's, let's put booze up for you. Let's get this thing going. I love it. Peter wanted to stay and don't we always want to stay in the mountain? Here's the problem. You've got a cross to carry. You weren't called to live on the mountain. It's a great place to visit, but God wants you to live elsewhere. And the disciples needed to know that. Verse five, while he was still speaking, I love that. Peter's just going on and on and on. But while he's still speaking, a bright cloud, oxymoronic somewhat, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. Now that's going to bring back some memories of the Old Testament cloud that spoke when Moses led the people out of Israel. Or the voice that came from heaven when Jesus was baptized, speaking from heaven itself. A voice and a cloud. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is my son, neither Moses or Elijah. Neither one is my son, nor, they are, nor are they your savior. Understand it. I use them, I chose them but they're not on the same level. This is my son whom I love, my beloved son, which can mean in context, the only begotten son, no one else. With him I am well pleased. Think of it. When Jesus came on the scene, the voice spoke at his baptism. Now near the end of his ministry, you still have this wonderful testimonial coming from heaven itself. This is my son and I'm well pleased with him. And then get this, listen to him, added on from the baptismal statement. Listen to him. Moses played a role as did Elijah. But now this is my son and you need to listen to him. The two who spoke for God are now eclipsed by the one who is God. The real word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh, right? He totally surpasses everyone else. Remember Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke by our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. 
The son whom he appointed, whom he has appointed as heir of all things, through whom he made the universe, and the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Oh, the son eclipses everyone. So the human response was, let's just put everyone on the same level. Let's stay up here. Let's get the kingdom going. The divine level is it's time for you to start listening to Jesus. He said he was going to die and he's going to. Listen to him. Don't just hear what he says. Or don't just acknowledge a voice speaking. Take it into your heart. Listen to him. If I could say anything to you for a new year, it would be this. Get alone with Jesus every day and listen to him. Hear his voice. You say, how do I do that? Read his word. I don't understand it. Read it again. I don't understand it. Read it again. Use a devotional, a good commentary. I don't know. Read it again. How many times do you expect me to read it? 50? 100? I have some portions of scripture I'm still reading and don't get it. And I have to just keep reading. Oh, but it's so beautiful, isn't it? When, and you've experienced this when you read the word and you read the word and you don't quite understand it. You read the word, you read the word and... Boom, a light comes on. You ever had that experience? I see it. It's as though Christ is right there in the room speaking to your soul. Verse six, when the disciples heard this, the voice of heaven, they fell down, face down to the ground. They were terrified, but Jesus came and touched them. Isn't that grace? Overwhelmed by fear. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. There is a healthy, godly fear. It's the fear of God. Other fears are useless. And when you fear God, you need not fear anything else. And the fear of God draws you into a wonderful love relationship because he wants us to know that we are his and he wants us to know that he loves us. Grace, get up. <laughs> Don't be afraid. And here's the message. So they're on the mountain and they witness the miracles, but here's the message. Don't miss it. Verse eight, and when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. I like the old King James. They saw no one save Jesus only. And that's what you and I need this year. We need to get our eyes off of religious leaders and even good and godly teachers because we have a tendency to make them our God. We have a tendency to make them our shepherd. And while we can appreciate those that God gives to us to help us learn his word and follow his word, let, never let anyone replace Jesus. Let him be Lord and Lord of all. The problem with Peter's plan is it places others 
on the same level as our great savior. You know, if we only had Moses, that would be the law, way too harsh. If we only had Elijah, that would be prophecy, speculative, too confusing, certainly at times. But we have Christ, who is the word of God personified. And he is the one who reveals the glory of Christ. In him is the glory. On Mount Tabor, which is called the Mount of Transfiguration, there was dedicated a chapel and church of the Franciscan order in 1925. There had been some other church buildings on top of that mountain, notable crusader buildings built over the years. In fact, when Jesus was there, there was a fortress uh, built on top of Mount Tabor. But in 1925, they built a new church connected with some of the old churches and they built two chapels on this church and get this they named one for Moses and one for Elijah you've got to be kidding have you not read the book who came up with that dumb lame idea and we do the same until we see the glory and we hear the voice. And when God says, take another look, what do you see now after the cloud is gone? I only see Jesus. It's not doctrine, it's Jesus. Doctrine is merely the teaching about Jesus, but it's a person. It's not a creed, it's the Son of God. Have you ever heard of that phrase, uh, come to Jesus meeting? Ever heard of that? It's interesting. Apparently, it started by uh, just a simple goal that when a religious meeting took place where the gospel would be preached, it was the desire that people would come to Jesus. We're having a meeting where we desire for people to come to Jesus. Now, the secular world has taken this come to Jesus moment. Did you hear about Smith? Yeah, I did. Boss called him in to his office. What is it? I think it's a come to Jesus moment. And everyone in the world knows what that means. He's going to get called on the carpet. He's going to get fired. He's going to be leveled for all the bad things he's doing. He's going to come face to face with power. Here's the come to Jesus movement that you and I need right now. The moment. The come to Jesus moment is for you and I to see Christ in his glory and let everything else fade away. You say, man, I wish, <laughs> I wish I could have been there if I could just have been on the mountain with him and heard the voice, that would have been great. You know, Peter was there and he never forgot it. But years later, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he wrote, I was on the holy mountain and I saw the glory, but I want you to know this, we have a more sure word of prophecy than even that. And it's called the Bible. So this is where you see Jesus. See him in all his glory. See him in the supper. See him above everyone else. See him in the word. And get this, see him as enough. Jesus is all I need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Help us to start out a new year in the right way with Jesus only. In your name we pray, amen.